All houses wherein men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors, the harmless phantoms on their errands glide with feet that make no sound upon the floors. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Greetings, creeps, and welcome to Season 2 of This House is Haunted podcast. If you're new around here, welcome to my nightmare. In the days to come, I'll be telling my story of spending two and a half years living in a haunted house in southeastern Kentucky when I was a young girl. Due to the spooky nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised as I take you into a world filled with things that go bump in the night. It was raining the day we brought Daddy home from the hospital. I remember watching the inordinately large fat drops of rain hit the windshield as Mama cautiously pulled out of the hospital parking lot. Daddy was talkative and was already planning when he would have time to head to the stock sale to pick up some of the goats so that he could keep the brush at bay on the side of the hill. Mama didn't miss a beat when she told him he'd be waiting until springtime since the doctors told him he would need to keep his activities limited until he finished with physical therapy, which could take several weeks. As she spoke, Daddy had given my sister and I a wink in the rearview mirror as if to say, we'll see about that. Molly and I had both adored goats and missed having access to them since leaving Indiana. We already had an array of names at the ready for when they arrived. The sound of the rain combined with the warm, familiar voices of my family lulled me into a drowsy state. I was so tired. Sleep had come in disjointed waves the night before. The terror of the thing in the shadows running across our rooftops and startling my family enough to seek out the shotgun locked in the gun safe making me feel fitful and jumpy. As terrifying as it had all been, there was a part of me that was relieved that someone other than myself had experienced some of what had been plaguing me since day one in the house. Of course, they had written it off as a demented bobcat, but I knew better. I'd seen the thing writhing in the tree outside the window, its pale, skeletal face carved into a screaming maw of fear incarnate. No, it was no bobcat. But just having my family be able to hear something had calmed a part of me that began to feel untethered by all the things I'd seen, heard, and felt. All the things that seemed to be targeting me specifically. Before we had loaded up the car to go and pick up Daddy, Wayne had done a walkthrough of the house to find any signs the bobcat might have left. But I was not surprised when he came back empty-handed. Mom and Wayne had been talking about getting a dog to help deter critters that might come sniffing around the house as we pulled into the hospital parking lot. I wanted a dog, and I had for quite some time, but I felt unsettled about bringing uh, something else into the chaos of the house. Teeny, I don't know if I can handle all the excitement you seem to have about me coming home, Daddy said jokingly. Still drowsy, but not wanting to appear anything less than jubilant that my family was back together with him feeling better than he had since leaving Indiana. I started to answer, but Mama interrupted and said, We had a bit of a wild night with a bobcat ripping and running across the roof last night. 
I exhaled, happy to be off the hook. Daddy, incredulous, said, a bobcat on the roof? You'd reckon it'd be sniffing around the barn. What in the world would it be doing on the roof? Mama shrugged. I didn't say it was a sensible critter, but it's the only thing that makes sense even though Wayne didn't find any paw prints around this morning. She took one hand off the wheel and indicated to the rain pelting the car. But the weather probably didn't help much with that. Daddy nodded and put his hand thoughtfully on his beard. I don't want you girls going down the barn until we know for sure what we're dealing with. A bobcat prancing around on the roof don't bode well to me. We want to make sure we're dealing with something that isn't sick and desperate. The vision of the ghoul in the tree looking towards me with hollow eyes caused a shiver to trail down my spine. I muttered, it's sick all right. And Daddy turned to say, what was that, Teeny? I said, I'm glad you're going to be home, Daddy. I don't trust Wayne's aim. Mama laughed and Daddy's eyes grew wide as we pulled up the holler leading to the house. Wayne had to use the gun? That night, we were all exhausted, having eaten our weight in Mama's roasted turkey that she had made in celebration of Daddy's return. Daddy had talked about how much better this meal was over what he'd been eating in the hospital, and Mama assured him that she hadn't used extra salt in anything, and that the salt shaker was going to stay firmly out of his grasp from here on out. Daddy was about to file into the bedroom and change the coat on the gun safe before setting in for an early night. He laughed and joked all evening, but I could see drawn tight lines etched into his brow any time he bent or moved over too quickly. Daddy also said he planned on taking a shower hot enough to peel the hair off a bear's back, and Mama had laughed and said she didn't know that was a setting on the hot water heater, but she'd keep that in mind the next time she had to muck out the barn. Molly and I were still camped out in Mom and Daddy's room after my incident in the closet, but they didn't seem to mind having us close during Daddy's recovery. We watched The Secret of Nim with Daddy, one of his favorite animated movies, and Mama made sure to keep the window curtains drawn tightly so that I wouldn't catch sight of any wayward animals in the trees. You need to get some sleep, Teeny. I heard you tossing and turning all night in the living room. Each of us curled up on either side of Daddy had maybe made it through about 15 minutes of the movie before sleep claimed us all. We had several days of peace and quiet after Daddy came home. We spent our fall break with him playing cards, watching a wide variety of movies, and eating lots of apples that Mama had gathered in the orchard. As true country folk, we never slept without a fan on, even in the dead of winter. But I found that if I kept it close to me, most other sounds would be drowned out by the steady hum, which was just fine with me. One day, while taking my chances with another game of go fish with Daddy and Sissy, Mama had walked in and said, Girls, we need to get your Halloween costumes lined up pretty soon or there aren't going to be any left. Halloween! How could I have forgotten? It was only my favorite holiday. Even with all the scary things happening around the house, the idea of dressing up in a spooky costume filled my heart with joy. Some things never change. I love the soft glow of the pumpkins, the twinkling of orange and purple lights, the chilly night of trick-or-treat racing from house to house gathering candy. 
and watching some of the other kids play tricks like throwing toilet paper through the trees or tossing shelled corn from overpasses. <laughs> In all the excitement of the last several weeks, I'd lost track of time, but hearing that we would be going costume shopping made me more joyful than I had been since arriving in Kentucky. I had known all year long what my costume would be and promptly announced, I want to be a witch. My sister scrunched up her nose and said, Ooh, why? I put a hand on my hip and said, Witches have a lot of power, that's why. Molly rolled her eyes and said, And warts on their nose. I narrowed my eyes and said, only the bad ones. I want to be a good one that makes all the bad stuff shake in their boots. Well, you can be a smelly old witch while I'm a cowgirl with a sparkly hat. My mouth pursed, and I wanted to make a comment about cowgirls not having the time to put glitter on their hats, but I bit my tongue and nodded and said, You do what you want, and I'll do what I want. Mama, who walked in for the tail end of this exchange, said, well, you'll both be out of luck if you we don't hoof it on over to Kmart ASAP. Earl, I'm taking the girls costume shopping. Don't you dare get up and head down to the barn. If you go much further than the bathroom, you'll get to wear that hospital gown costume again. We heard a <sighs> come from Daddy, and Mama nodded taking that as an affirmative and motioned for us to get up and get our shoes on. That night, after returning home from a successful shopping trip, our family had a movie night in the living room watching The Great Pumpkin. My brother even joined in for this, as Snoopy was an all-time favorite of his. I could hear a large group of crows cawing just outside of the window, and they were making so much noise that Wayne actually went outside at one point and had thrown a couple of wayward acorns towards them hoping they would disband and move on to some tree that wasn't interrupting our movie watching. Don't those things usually nest up for the night? Mama had asked sleepily as she stretched out on the couch, her feet casually on Daddy's lap while us kids laid on the floor with pillows and blankets. So far, there doesn't seem to be many rules that the wildlife of this area follows. Daddy had chuckled, and Wayne, still annoyed, but determined sat intently in front of the screen so as not to miss any more of this seasonal classic. Molly and I were sitting in our Halloween costumes, determined to get as much use as possible out of them, seeing as how they'd cost more than Mama had wanted to spend, and we had assured her that we would get more than one night of use out of them. My witch's gown was black, with lace spiderweb design patterns on each sleeve. The tall, pointy hat had the same design, but with a silver star sewn into the brim. It had also come with an ugly green plastic mask, but I had promptly lost that. Witches didn't have to be green with warts. That was only for the ones who were up to no good. My sister had found her cowgirl outfit complete with the brightest, pinkest, shiniest cowgirl hat you've ever seen. She had practically floated out of the store with it and had worn it at least once a day since bringing it home. The calling of the crows interrupted my reverie and Wayne said, I could sure use that shotgun right about now. And that's exactly why we changed the code. Not everything needs to be shot just for existing, Wayne, came Mama's voice. Well, they can go exist somewhere else in somebody else's yard, preferably across from the creek. Mr. Bentley was... 
Mama's pursed lips and raised eyebrows indicated he might want to rethink his wording. Er, complaining again about the smell of the pigs as Billy Bob and I were down there feeding tonight. I swear that man waits by the door for us to walk down there and doesn't shut up until we walk back up the hill. Daddy grinned and said, Welcome to the wonderful world of neighbors, Bubba. Yeah, well, he was also going on about hearing something walking around behind the barn again last night. Said the pigs were squealing their heads off. Said he thought one of them might have got stuck, but he didn't feel right waking us up in the middle of the night to deal with it. He even walked in with us, holding his nose and all, but the pigs were quiet as field mice, even if they were all huddled up together in the corner. Daddy frowned. Hmm, that's not like them to huddle up. They're a pretty social bunch, especially when the barn doors open. The physical therapist said I should be cleared first part of November. We can check them out about buttoning things up a little later. As he finished the sentence, a loud banging sound came from the large bay window, followed by another and another, as if several rocks had been tossed with force. Daddy jumped and Wayne was right behind him. This ain't supposed to happen for another couple of nights. Halloween isn't for two nights, you little jerks. Even as he spoke, another sharp crack echoed through the room, followed by another, and then all was silent. No one moved for several seconds, and then Daddy motioned for Wayne to follow him to the front door. He whispered, Stay down. Girls, we'll be right back. Wayne grabbed the ball bat Mom left by the front door, and Daddy picked up the large flashlight he usually carried down to the barn. They paused, and then both charged out the door, running down the handful of steps and towards the bay window. Molly and I were hanging on to Mama's nightgown, and she was turned in the direction of the window, the sound of Charlie Brown the only thing filling the silence. After a couple of moments of no response, Mama called out, Earl! To which he replied, It's okay, Verly. Be in in just a minute. It wasn't long before we heard him walking up the stairs and towards the front door. They were both frowning and clearly confused. What was it, kids? Daddy shook his head. It, it, it was the crows. Six of them crashed right to the window and broke their necks. Mama lifted her hand to her mouth in horror. What in the world? I don't know. Maybe they were reacting to the light of the TV? I think I should call around and see if there's any place I should take them in case they're sick or something. Wayne shook his head and said, well, I wanted them to shut up, but that's nuts. You'd think they would have stopped after the first couple. Did you move them, Earl? Mama said, patting mine and sister's shoulder reassuringly. Yeah, I tossed them in the back of the truck. Didn't want anything getting into them. Do y'all think something is wrong with the house? I said. Knowing the sort of looks I would get, but I couldn't keep it in as internal dialogue anymore. I kept speaking. All the animals around here seem wrong. And, and Mr. Bentley, he said they can't keep a dog outside without it disappearing. And then there's that whatever it was on the roof. The pigs are scared. And now those crows killed themselves outside. This house feels wrong. 
I knew we shouldn't watch something spooky this late at night, came Daddy's reply as he looked to Wayne. This is not a spooky movie, Dad. It's a cartoon for cr- Er, goodness sake. If she's gonna get scared of this, she might as well never watch TV again. I'm not scared of Charlie Brown, Daddy. I'm scared of this house. Of what it's done to you, what's happened to me, what it could do to all- That's enough, he said sharply. You are scaring your little sister plumb to death. I turned and saw Molly's wide brown eyes and felt a second of guilt before she said, I, I trust Sissy. She don't want to scare me. I hear things sometimes at night, like people talking. I hate the playroom, and I heard stuff moving in the barn the same as Mama, Mr. Bentley, and Sissy. She came up and took my hand, and I felt a hot tear slide down my cheek. My sister, my little spitfire of a sister who made me want to climb the wall with irritation at times, had my back, was defending me, believed me. If she says something is wrong, it's wrong. She has dreams that tell her things sometimes, and you all make her feel bad about it. Both my parents looked away and then to each other before my mom answered. It's not that we don't believe you, honey. We just know how confusing this world can be sometimes, and we don't want it to be even more confusing and hard than it has to be. I only get confused when you all tell me what I'm seeing and feeling instead of listening to what I actually see and feel. The tension in the air was palpable, but I could see that my parents were struggling with a way to explain all the things that had happened since moving into the house. Daddy was the first to speak. It's late, and everyone is tired. This time of the year always lends itself to strange happenings, so let's put a pin in this until after tomorrow. He stood and offered a hand to Mama, who took it and stood slowly. I agree with your Daddy. We can talk about this more after Halloween, and y'all aren't as amped up. Molly and I both started to speak, and Daddy held up a hand. Not tonight, girls. I'm plumb wore out. And this is finished for now. I frowned and looked to Molly, who took my hand. She whispered, I believe you. And I turned so that she wouldn't see the tears slide down my cheek. That night, lying in Mama and Daddy's bed, I heard the whispers trailing from the hallway for the first time in many days. The house was awake again, just in time for Halloween. We didn't talk at all about the crows the next day, except for Daddy to say he was driving to an animal hospital he'd found in the yellow pages to drop off the crows to make sure they weren't sick. I winced at the mention of them and the memory of their fragile bodies pelting the window the night before. They had scared me, but I couldn't help but feel sorry for the way their lives had ended. Molly, Molly sensing my unease, had reminded Mama that we were supposed to carve pumpkins that day before going out trick-or-treating. We were assured that after breakfast we could take them out on the porch and get to work. That day passed in a sort of lazy way, the minutes moving at a sluggish speed before it was finally time to get our costumes on and visit our neighbors up the holler. Our freshly carved jack-o'-lanterns were lit on the porch, and Daddy sat in a rocking chair with a big bowl of candy in his lap. Mama would be driving us to trick-or-treat, and as many of the houses had large distances between them, so she would park and walk us up to houses, and Daddy would be doling out candy on our porch. 
I had my doubts that many trick-or-treaters would traverse up the steep driveway to the haunted house on the hill for a miniature Snickers bar, but I kept that to myself. That night, I almost forgot that I was living in a nightmare, my treat bag filled with homemade popcorn balls, Rice Krispie treats, and more candy than I'd be allowed to eat in a month. The neighbors cooed over our costumes, and I saw houses decorated in ways that I would emulate years later in adulthood. By 8 o'clock, Molly and I were both yawning, and Mama was driving two very tired, well-sugared young ladies back to the house. As we pulled into the drive, the first thing we noticed was Daddy was no longer sitting with a bowl of candy, but standing on the edge of the porch with his shotgun in his hand. When Mama opened the door, he hissed, Stay in the car! Something's moving around here! Mama shut the door without question. Molly and I both unbuckled our seat belts to crawl up into the front seat beside her so that we could be close and also have a better view of what was happening. It was already dark at this time of the year, so it was hard to make out anything save the trees that were lit up by the ambient light from the porch. Mama cracked the window so we could hear any would-be predators that were moving about, but the only sound was that of the leaves blowing calmly in the wind until... The trees! Something was moving in the trees! You could hear the branches breaking and creaking under the weight of something moving through them. Something much bigger than a squirrel or a raccoon. Visions of the ruined face I'd seen a few nights before had me squeezing my eyes closed and holding on tight to Mama's blouse. Molly started to cry and Mama pulled her in tight and held her. Shh, it's okay girls. Just a pesky old bobcat looking for a late night snack. Molly cried louder. No, 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 honey, no, it's not going to eat you. It's probably just chasing a possum or something up the tree. As she finished saying this, something large banged into the rear passenger door of the car, and all three of us screamed, startled by the unexpected assault. Daddy whipped around but didn't dare aim the gun towards us. He fired a shot in the air and said, Go on, get out of here! The only response was a soft scratching sound that was sliding from under the back end of the car to exactly where we were seated in the front before another thud hit us from directly underneath. Molly screamed and Mama said, That's enough of this! and turned the ignition and slammed the car into reverse. I expected to feel the impact of the car hitting something, anything, but we quickly moved several feet down the driveway without incident. Mama turned on the headlights and was straining to see if there was anything left on the patio where the car once sat, but it appeared empty. She put on the parking brake and called out to Daddy, You see anything, Earl? The adrenaline of the moment making her normally warm voice sound strained and distant. Daddy was looking over the porch and onto the patio and shook his head. Not a thing, I wonder. It was then that something moved with an agility I had never seen before from the tree line directly across from the patio, over the driveway, and up towards the orchard. Mama gasped and Daddy turned quickly with his gun, but the thing moved so quickly he couldn't get a shot off. Daddy waved for Mama to pull forward, his eyes never leaving the direction of the orchard. Mama, her hands shaking, put the car in gear and pulled onto the patio. Daddy held up a hand as if to indicate that we should stay still and none of us moved. He crept slowly across the patio, intent on catching a glimpse of what had banged into the car. 
We sat in silence for what felt like hours but was actually closer to a couple of minutes before Daddy's voice, sounding firm and slightly shaken, said, Come on up, girls, and get in the house. I don't know if our feet even touched the ground when we got out of the car and we made it into the house, and speeds I wouldn't have known were possible a year ago. Daddy backed into the door with us and shut it firmly, locking it. Mama said, Wayne, already at Billy Bob's for the night. He left about an hour ago. Daddy continued to peek out the window until Mama had all the lights on and said, Earl, what is going on? Daddy let the gingham curtain fall back over the tiny window of the door and his body relaxed a bit as he said, Burley, I wish I knew. One minute I was sitting out on the porch putting a dent in this bowl of candy and the next I saw what I thought was a trick-or-treater with some creepy skeletal mask crouching in the tree line, most likely up to no good and figuring out a way to egg our house. And then it was up in the orchard line stirring up the birds and raising all kinds of racket in the tree. Couldn't be a kid. No way they could move that fast. But it wasn't no bobcat either. Maybe a starved and mangy coyote, but it didn't holler like one. I could almost see his mind working overtime to label something unbelievable into something more palatable. That he would not accept that he had seen the very thing I had been warning the family about for months. I bet it was a coyote. Maybe rabbit. The only reason I could see why it would get that close. And bang into a parked car, Mama said, sounding doubtful, but also hoping to put this experience into a box marked explainable. As they spoke, I looked out the window directly over the sink. My eyes narrowed and I focused in on the large oak that stood closest to the house. There, in one of the higher branches, something moved. I stepped out behind Daddy and walked a little closer to the window in spite of myself. I needed to know. Needed to see if it was... As if sensing me gazing in its direction, a shadow moved once again until the gaunt, skeletal face that had haunted me since the first day of school stood smiling, scarier than any jack-o'-lantern from the branch before turning its head and disappearing into the dark of the night. I wanted to scream. I wanted to shout, There! It's a monster! Coyotes cannot climb trees! This is real! This is happening! Believe me! But all the terror, all the doubt, tied my tongue into knots. As the family settled on the idea of a rampant, rabid coyote that Daddy would be calling animal control about the next morning, I resolved that it was my job to keep them all safe. Safe from whatever was staking its claim on this house and this land. Whatever had crawled across the barn and banged into the car. What I believe scared those crows so badly that they ran into our bay window. Whatever had crawled out to touch me in the closet. I would be the one with her eyes wide open even when all they saw was horror. Well, hello there, creeps. We've made it through season two of This House is Haunted podcast. Woot! For a minute there, I had my doubts. 
But there were a few of you, like Bob, Sandra, Natalie, and Laura, to name a few, who have cheered me on and kept me inspired and creating. We are in the depths of spooky season, and I hope this episode finds you cuddled up in your favorite sweater, preferably in front of a rolling fire or flickering candles, my voice taking you on a ride through the hills and hollers of eastern Kentucky. Big news is I'm working on uploading old episodes of the podcast onto YouTube, since I've had quite a few folks reach out about adding that as a platform to listen as well. Speaking of the show... If you've enjoyed my storytelling, please remember to like and most importantly subscribe as that helps the podcast grow. Also, feel free to share any of my posts and that gets the word out a little bit faster too. I'm a one-woman show, so any support, like and share, and review helps me to keep making the world a little bit creepier. It would also mean a lot if you would take the time to give me a rating on whatever streaming service you're using to help bring new listeners to the pod. You can also find This House is Haunted podcast on Facebook and Instagram for updates and photos. Until we meet again, keep it creepy and don't go chasing any voices you hear in the night.